So tonight we look at the subject of the authority of Jesus in Mark chapter 2. And last week we got into Mark and I was um, bringing out some things uh, as we were looking at the texts that are very fascinating about Mark. Mark is written in Greek without, in, in little sections. And no section has more than 150 words and a lot of them less than that. And so you've got these, the, the, the smallest gospel, the gospel of Mark, easy to memorize. I mentioned the gospel of Matthew. It has the five main teachings of Christ throughout the text. And so you get something very specific there. And as you go through Matthew, you can see each one if you've got a red-letter Bible. And then the Gospel of Luke, especially from chapter 9 to 19, has parables in it that the other Gospels don't. Accounts and things that Christ did in the last six months of his life that are not in the other Gospels. And then John alone um, stands alone in many ways. Uh, in the nature of the text and how Christ defends himself. And John usually covers and mostly covers Jesus' ministry in Judea. So as we're going through this, we're doing a series on the Gospel of Mark. Tonight we look at the authority of Jesus Christ and what he says about himself. This is the message we're getting from Mark in the very beginning. Why you should believe in Jesus. This is the Gospel. This is the good news. As, as Mark begins, he says, this is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And he reads... Um, prophecy and gives that and he presents John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus. And so we're going to study into the text a bit further this evening. Who do people trust? You might be thinking on the top of your head, who in general do people in the world trust? Um, maybe they trust experts when it comes to their physician, um, when it comes to a professor, when it, when it comes to whoever they have hired to do something, they trust them. Uh, to do that job. Uh, when it comes to things in life or maybe in matters of news, who do you trust for the news? You can get a little political and even divisive on some of that. Um, I listen to a different points of view in the news, but a lot of times I like to listen to the one that feels like they're lying to me the least. I don't know if you ever felt that way. Uh, I can tell you're lying and I can pick it apart. So, um, you know, because each side has a little bit of a slant and I, and I know not all news is lying. There's a lot. There's some good news out there. I'm, I'm exaggerating. But when you start, start thinking about who do you trust, Mark's making the case here. This is what Jesus did. Jesus came doing miracles and wonders so that you trust in him. You recognize that he is the authority. And as we read the Gospels, that's what they're written for, written for us, to come to faith in Christ. And I hope that we will commit to, to doing that. So tonight we're going to look at Mark 2, and here we have the occasion of which um, we have a man who is lame and is brought to Jesus by his four friends. And I think we want to look here at the faith that, that is presented here in the text and the events that occur. And we know this in the, from the Bible, and it says that Jesus had a place in Capernaum. Think about that as we read Mark 2, 1 through 4. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together. So that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came bringing to him a paralytic man carried by four men. And when they could not get near to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic men lay. So you had thatched roofs covered in mud back then, and they could take away the roof. Something that stands out to me about this is I wonder, is this Jesus' house? They show up and took, take his own roof off. 
And some scholars believe it's very likely that this is Jesus' own home. Another thing that stands out to me is we're starting to read about the faith of the four men and the paralytic man. And they all are attributed as having faith. And how would that work? I imagine the four men heard Jesus. Maybe they saw a miracle and saw a wonder and they, they believed. And so they go and they get the paralytic man and say, you need to come to Jesus. He can heal you. And that is what is occurring here. They've seen it before. They've been waiting for him. Here he is in the home, and nobody crowding the door in the home is going to cause any trouble. Now, most homes back then were about 18 feet. That's what my source says, 18 feet. I don't know why you don't sum it up and say 20, but 18 feet wide and square. And it, it says that you probably fit about 50 people at the most in one of these homes. So you get kind of a picture here of what's going on as Jesus is teaching and the crowd is gathering, possibly in his own home. And you have them bringing this man to be healed. But crowds of people came to Jesus by faith, or at least some kind of hope of faith for his teaching and his works. We've heard about him. We're seeking him out. And so when you look at these Gospels and you read the Gospel of Mark, I want to be like that. I, you, can, you can feel yourself as being a part of this crowd. I'm eager now. Once you read Mark chapter 1, you can picture yourself being a part of this body, seeing these things happen, and being there to see Jesus and the wonders and great things that he does. But many people claim to have faith in Jesus Christ. But then they often obey others over his own authority. Oh, I believe in Jesus, but there's no faithfulness to him. There's no obedience to follow after him. There's no diligence in opening up the Bible and reading him and wanting to discover him. And I think that's sad. I hope that we can read the Gospels, especially the Gospel of Mark, as we're studying it, and say, I want to see Christ again. I want to study him further. I want to know him. And I want to learn from him. The idea of being a disciple, the picture that you get here in the Gospel of Mark, very beautiful, wonderful thing, and I think it should be motivating to us. All right, for our text, we're going to open up to Mark, and we're going to read from here. But we have some that are in the crowd and within the group who have come there. Uh, we've got some of the scribes. So maybe they've heard Jesus teaching. They're wondering what he's teaching. Why is he doing the things that he's doing? Why does he speak the way that he speaks? And you're going to get their thoughts and their thinking here, and you're going to have Jesus understanding and knowing what they're thinking already. But this is what we see here in the text. So Jesus spoke authoritatively, even in declaring the forgiveness of sins. Imagine someone doing that today. I forgive you of your sins. Some people claim that authority today. There's no way anybody, any preacher, any brethren of the Church of Christ that I know would do that. But there are some and other faiths who claim to do this, that, that very thing. So that's a very striking thing. The scribes are here, and if we heard the same thing today, we'd be thinking, how is this person claiming to forgive sins? Maybe we can react to that reaction, react with some skepticism and doubt about what is going on here. So we have questioning scribes that have come to hear Jesus speak. They're going to find out what's going on. They knew the implication of forgiving sins. In the Jewish world, the only person who can forgive sins is God, period. That was their thinking. And so here Jesus comes along in forgiving sins. Why is he doing this? Jesus is going to say later, I am the Son of Man. And we know that it's a phrase in the Bible that talks about the one who is equal to God who receives an eternal kingdom. In Daniel chapter 7, 13 and 14. So the implications of what Jesus has said are huge. And he's going to have to support that. The, the 
scribes here, Jesus knows what they're thinking. He knows what's in their heart. And they're thinking this man blasphemes. He speaks in error. The word for blaspheme in Greek is blasphemia. Now you know some Greek. Um, So when you think about the word blaspheme, it's also the word when you curse someone or you revile them. And sometimes when you're reading your Bible, you're reading someone was cursed or they were reviled. A lot of times it's that same word right here. So they're hearing something very harsh and even profane to them. It'd be like hearing God's name in vain or someone cursing Christ and using profanity with it. It's something that would often aggravate us. Let's read the text, and I want to see, and if we're going to see together, if we can draw some more from Mark chapter 2. Mark 2, let's read verses 5 through 8. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Well, notice this. Here's a man who's disabled, and the first thing Jesus does is to say, Son, your sins are forgiven. So usually, probably a younger man. It's probably his friends or younger men have come to Christ for this. Look at verse 6. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Again, Mark is writing as he's listening to the Apostle Peter and what he has collected, he has written down for us. We know that is the, from, from history and the tradition that's been passed down. But you think about how Jesus approached this and what he is doing here. The whole point of what Christ is doing and what we're seeing tonight is that he must become the authority. When you're reading the Gospel of Mark, you're beginning out, here's the Messiah, here's the Son of Man, who is this man? Why is he doing the things that he is? Why does he have disciples following him? He's cast out an unclean spirit. He's healed many. People know who he is. And as we get into chapter 2, we see him hearing this, healing this paralytic man. For the purpose, the Gospel of Mark tells us that the miracles are to attest that those who speak on behalf of God can prove it. Somebody comes to you and says, God spoke to me. How do you demonstrate that? The Gospel of Mark tells us. In chapter 16, you can read about that. That as they spoke, they were able to attest and affirm what they were saying by doing miracles. Jesus did the same. We begin to see why Jesus came. Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save it, to rescue the world, to rescue the world from sins. Now, if you go and you look at John 12 and verse 47, he clearly says that. In the next passage, he says, but there is something that will judge the world. My words. And that's what we get throughout the gospel. We have Christ speaking with authority. Even historians today who might be an agnostic or an atheist or an unbeliever, they begin to read these things and they see that, yes, Jesus spoke and he claimed to be the Son of Man. That's who he claimed to be. And as we've pointed out before, if Jesus is making that claim, he's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. It's one of those three options. And here he speaks with authority, and it is to plead with those who are reading it, who is this man? Because in all of history, there's nobody been who has lived who has changed the world like Jesus Christ. And everybody must give an account one day. Who is Jesus? And explain him and what you've done with his teaching in the world. We see this as well. Jesus again demonstrates that the Son of Man has authority, and this time he does it with signs. Here are my observations, and then we're going to read the text. 
Jesus observed the limitations of mere men to forgive sins and heal the lame. The scribes see it. He says, it's true. Mere men cannot do this. But again, Christ claims to be divine. He claims to be the Messiah, the one who has predicted God to come in the flesh. Jesus speaking had the authority and power to cause healing. So not only do we have Jesus speaking, something you cannot see in the sense of forgive sins, now he's speaking with authority, and what happens is something you can see. And that teaches us again, I want to lean on Jesus, I want to listen to him, I want to obey his words, because he has the words that are able to heal men. I don't know of anybody else that could speak and do such a thing, nobody in history who by their own authority can speak and tell someone to rise up and take up their bed and walk. We see this, Jesus again proved that he was the Son of Man. He calls himself the Son of Man here. And then lastly, all were amazed and glorified God to see the lame man healed and get up and walk out of that house. It's a great occasion to do that, to make this important message on who he is. So read with me now again, verses 9 through 12. And you make your own observations as you read what you see in the text. 9 through 12. Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up, rise, take up your bed, and walk? How do you answer that? Which is easier? I guess someone could say in one sense forgiveness of sins because then you don't really see it. But I don't think there's an actually a definite answer here. And go either way. Rise up, take up your bed, and in the forgiveness of sins. I can't do either one. Don't know anybody who can but Christ. Look at verse 10. But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So that is the point. Why is he doing? Why is he speaking? Why did he begin with the forgiveness of sins? Because he wants everybody there, those scribes and all, to hear that he has that authority and ability to do that. And he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So they were all amazed, glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. I was amazed in some uh, studies on what the critics say about Jesus. And many of them will admit that he did wonders. Even the atheists, they'll say, he did it. Well, we think that they, it was more uh, psychosomatic and that the healing that Jesus did um, was in a peculiar way. But they, they can't deny that these things happen. They say the historical evidence is there. And I found that fascinating. So as you're reading this, and maybe you're reading it and saying, okay, I'm, what if I was reading it and I'm an unbeliever? Maybe I'm among those scribes who are skeptical and wondering. Maybe I still have doubts about my faith. It's a wonderful text for us to be reading and to seeing the authority of Jesus, Jesus healing the, limb, the uh, lame man here, the paralytic, and demonstrating his authority. I think it's very clear. And as we read in the text again, he is the Son of Man. And now as we go out throughout the rest of the Mark, we're going, the Gospel of Mark, we're going to see these things. When you go to Daniel and you see the Son of Man, he receives the kingdom, but it doesn't mention him forgiving sins there. Where does that come from? Well, the Messiah is the one who can also forgive sins at least by his sacrifice. And when we go to Isaiah 52 to 53, where's a writing that the Dead Sea Scrolls confirm was over 200 years before Jesus was born. 
And it speaks of a suffering servant, of one who dies and his grave is made with sinners. That's what we know about Jesus. And that his days were prolonged and he continued to, to live. That's what we read in the book of Isaiah. The evidence is abundant. What did Jesus come preaching? We start thinking more about his authority, the things that he said. This is what we read in Mark 1, 14 to 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's the plea that we continue to read. That's the mission. That's why Jesus is doing the things that he does to convince. Believe in me, I've come from God. Jesus taught those who would listen, although many of them identified as sinners. People called him that, and yet he still proclaimed the gospel to them. I think some today would say, well, if someone's living a sinful life, why even preach to them? They're the ones that need to hear it. And Jesus knew that, and that's what we read about his mission here. We see this. Think about this. What would happen if Jesus came forgiving sins and never did a miraculous sign? Became preaching and proclaiming and had no miracles that went along with it. The same thing with the apostles. Just another man speaking. However, we do see John the Baptist did no wonders. It says in John 10 and verse 41, yet he offered forgiveness, even though he couldn't forgive sins. But Jesus, again, was distinct and different. His mission is clear. We read about in Mark 10 and verse 45, he says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as ransom for the many. That's why he came. From the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus' miracles, they, they attested to who he was. And I believe the historical evidence is sufficient to believe that he truly did wonderful things. When you go and you read the Gospels and Jesus does a miracle and people don't like it, what do they say about it? They don't say that he actually, he didn't do the miracle. They just said he did it by another power. You don't read about his enemies saying, no, there's no way that that possibly happened. But they're always saying he did it by Beelzebub or they did it in some other way. And if you read of Christ, I cannot believe at all that he would do anything by any demonic or satanic power. So he did miracles. How do we, what do we do with that? Furthermore, I think tonight as we start thinking about authority and we think about Jesus' forgiveness of sins, we got to humble ourselves to come before him, to seek out forgiveness from him. If someone today thinks that they are righteous and they're good enough, and they think, I'm just a good enough person and a good people, well, they're going to go into the afterlife and they're going to be fine. They're going to go to a blissful state. They're going to be saved. What you're saying, again, when you say that, and again, I know I talk about this a lot, but it is the most common false teaching I hear. most common lie today is that I'm a good person. Good people go to heaven. Therefore, I'm going to heaven. But you need to add on to that. Furthermore, I don't really need Jesus to save me. That's the point. You're saved by your own good works. You're obligating God. You're saying, Christ, I don't really need your forgiveness. Christ, as we've seen tonight, has demonstrated he came with the authority to forgive. Mark 2, 15 to 17. Look at this passage. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus. This is 
uh, as we're looking at the tax collector here. Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So when we approach Christ, we've got to approach him as the one who forgives sins. But we're not, we don't feel like we need to come to him unless we believe that we've sinned. Have we acted contrary to God? Do I need forgiveness? I'm not righteous on my own account. I am a sinner. Paul says, I am the chief of sinners. And that mentality is one that every one of us should carry. I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. And the only way to be saved is through Jesus. He's the only one who has the authority He's the expert. He's the one I'm going to listen to. He's the one who's going to guide my life. And I hope that you'll continue studying Mark with me. And we'll look a little bit deeper into this as we move on. Tonight, I hope that there's anybody here who's not a Christian, who's not been baptized into Christ, that you will consider what the Bible says, what the Scriptures say about becoming a Christian and having your sins washed away. I'm going to go to Colossians 2. And I'm going to go back to Mark Colossians chapter 2. Look with me in verses 12 and 13. So the, the gospel, the Bible says, is the death, the burial, and resurrection. It is what saves. The fact that Jesus died, that he was buried, and he rose again. Look at verses 12 and 13. Having been buried with him in baptism, we join with Christ who partake of the death, burial, and resurrection in baptism. We're buried with him. It says, in which also you are raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. It is God who raises up. When you come out of baptism, it is God who is raising you up. Look at verse 13. And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our sins. It is from when you rise from baptism that you are forgiven of all sins. It is when you partake of the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that you're forgiven of all sins. Jesus said when he rose from the dead, he had already died, he'd been buried, he rose from the dead. In Mark 16, 16, he says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. I hope tonight we consider the gospel. We're in need of a physician. We see that need, we see the authority and the ability of Jesus Christ to save those who are sinners. We cannot be self-righteous. I hope that we will humble ourselves before Jesus and study the Scriptures further. We read in Mark 2 and verse 10, but that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. That's what we've seen tonight, the wonders that He has done. And the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Tonight, if you're not a Christian, believe, confess your faith that Jesus rose from the dead, repent of your sins, be baptized, and rise in the newness of life. If you need prayers and encouragement, we encourage you to come right now while we stand and while we sing.